Good morning, Live Church and so many others who are watching with us online. We are so glad to have you with us today. Come on, isn't this crazy the weather we're getting? But ain't nothing going to stop this Live Church. We, we, we can worship God whether we're in our house with our family, kind of on lockdown or working remotely or whatever it is. And we're so glad that you're with us today. Let me tell you what's going to happen. We're going to start our new series. We're kind of dysfunctional today instead of next week. Um, and then we'll take a pause next week as we do our three-year um, celebration and anniversary. That's going to be such an awesome day to celebrate together. And we want everybody in the room. And so one of the reasons we held off on um, meeting today was because if the weather forecast was bad, we didn't want anybody feeling some pressure or some FOMO and just taking some risks that they don't need to take. And so we're just glad that you're safe today and we'll celebrate next week. And we want you to join with us. And then the following week, we're going to have one of our overseers, my favorite guest speakers, Pastor Scott and Vanessa Bledsoe. They're like, they are my lead pastors. And they're going to be with us two weeks from now. He's going to be teaching on what every husband wishes wives knew. And then she's going to take the mic and teach on what every wife wishes husbands knew. So you're not going to want to miss out whether you're married or on your way to getting married. Come on, it's going to be great. But today, let's talk. We're kind of dysfunctional. This title came to me because I have talked to people before who said, if I'm keeping it real, Pastor, as I asked about their home life, they say, if I'm keeping it real, we're kind of dysfunctional. We got some issues. We got some things we're working on. And, you know, a lot of times dysfunction tries to stay hidden. We try to cover it up. Um, my seven-year-old girl, Amia, plays on a soccer team. And they're at that moment where, really, if you're watching the game, they're pretty darn dysfunctional. I mean, they're running everywhere on the field. The coaching is minimal. She's playing on a rec team. And um, I'm on the sideline racking my brain because it's, it's, it's almost too much for me to take. If you've ever seen dysfunction before... You just want to help it. You just want to eliminate dysfunction as best as you can and fix things up. Now, I think in the course of life, we get minimal teaching on family life. I mean, of course, if you have great parents or if you had a great upbringing, then maybe you learned from your environment. But most of us have very little coaching on something that implies to us every single day of our life. It dictates our joy levels and our happiness. And many of us are crying out, if I'm being honest, I'm kind of dysfunctional at home and I could use a heck of a lot more coaching. And when it comes to uh, dysfunction, uh, like I said, a lot of times we try to hide it. But here's two things I want to point out as we set up this whole series is number one, Jesus didn't hide his dysfunction. Now, let me backtrack that. He didn't have dysfunction, but his family lineage did. Come on, you might be thinking, I'm not very dysfunctional. Maybe your neighbor might disagree with that. But a lot of us are like, I'm not really the dysfunctional one, but I got people in my family who need some help. And why don't you share this feed to them? Come on, that would be great. Share the message and, and tell them to join us at church for the whole sermon series. But here's the thing. 
We all have dysfunction somewhere in our family lineage. Look at Jesus's family lineage. Um, uh, Rahab was a prostitute. And then look, I circled a few of his uh, descendants. Look, Jacob, Jacob, he was known as a deceiver. He marries Leah. Leah was insecure and incredibly jealous of her sister. Um, they have a child. They, they name him Judah. Judah is one of 12 kids who throws his brother Joseph into a pit to die. <laughs> Come on. That's pretty dysfunctional. Um, Judah then has kids, and down his lineage is a man named David. David was known as a man after God's own heart, but he was also an adulterer. He also sent um, uh, his lover's husband to the front lines to die in military conflict. He then took on her as a wife and they had a kid. Um, let's talk a little bit about the dysfunction of his kids in general. There was incest, there was rape, and there was murder just among his kids. Um, one of his kids would take the throne and become King Solomon who had a thousand wives and concubines. That's a lot of sister wives, okay? That's a dysfunctional sermon series or, or TV series that could be bingeable today. And he introduces foreign religions to God's people for the first time. Come on. There was a lot of dysfunction. And this is the lineage Jesus chose out of all lineages to come. I could say more about it, but here's what it tells me. If Jesus came out of dysfunction, he can take our family through dysfunction too. He can do amazing things through our dysfunction. Tell somebody or write in the chat, and I thought we were dysfunctional. Come on. If he can come through that dysfunction, so can we. And here's the other thing about hiding dysfunction is that nothing really heals in the light. You've got to bring it out of the dark and into the light. How many of you have a dysfunctional automobile and you want the mechanic to try to fix it all in the dark? No, come on, man. He's like pouring windshield wiper fluid into your radiator fluid tank, and that's going to be even more dysfunctional. No, we got to fix this stuff in the light. And the Bible says in Jeremiah 6, 14, many of us are saying, my people are broken, shattered even. And they put on Band-Aids saying, it's not so bad. You'll be just fine. But things are not just fine. In other words, we got to quit hiding things. We got to quit pretending and acting. One of my uh, pastors, uh, Irene Rollins, would say, you can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. Come on, we got to stop putting on our church faces when we go to church and acting like at home it's all good because we know if we're being real, we're like, my marriage, my kids, my household, my organization, it's all kind of dysfunctional, Pastor. Somebody help. We're here to help. And that's what this series is all about. And this first week, um, I want to use a dysfunctional couple in the Bible. I don't know about you, but it makes me feel a little bit more comfortable when I find out there were dysfunctional people in the Bible who God functionally used to build his kingdom of God. And um, Abigail is one of them, and she was married to a man named Nabal. And so we're going to talk about this literally... Um, 
a minimally heard about couple. You might not have ever known this was in your Bible, but if you got your Bible, go to 1 Samuel chapter 25, and I want to talk about Abigail and Nabal. Let me set it up a little bit. This is a marriage that's highly dysfunctional. This marriage is jacked up, and we're going to read through it. Um, but Abigail is married to Nabal, and Nabal is super rich, but Abigail um, doesn't have a great amount of respect for her husband. Um, King David has been protecting their employees, or, or in other words, their shepherds out in the field. And they have been securing their investment, protecting their investments. And so David, when it's sheep shearing season, when Nabal comes into a large paycheck, it's a seasonal income for Nabal, typically, culturally, uh, sheep shearers would then throw an extravagant celebration and they'd be highly generous to the city folk all around them. So David comes to him and says, hey, bro, we've been protecting your shepherds. That's why you've lost nothing lately. Hey, why don't you hook a brother up? Me and my crew are, have been running security for you. And so can you bless us? Can you feed us? Can you take care of us? And Nabal tells them he might as well get lost. He spits in their face. He spews insults. And then a, a servant comes to Abigail and goes, you're never going to believe what your husband just did to King David or, or soon to be King David. He wasn't uh, king yet. And he's like, listen, he attacked him. And I think we're going to die. We're going to die real soon because he acted ignorantly and arrogantly. And so Abigail rushes off to David, makes all things right, and then comes back and tells her husband after a drunken orgy the next morning, guess what? I just saved your tail and my tail. And he goes into a seizure and he dies within 10 days. And I, 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 this is one of the craziest stories. King David, or he's not king yet, I keep saying that. David reaches out to her and says, hey girl, you were married to a loser. Why don't you come run with me now? And, he be, and she becomes one of David's wives. Highly, highly dysfunctional right in the chat. chat. That's dysfunctional. <laughs> but a lot of us can relate. And so here's what I want to write down, uh, what I want you to take notes on. Healthy couples know five things. And I'm coming straight out of this scripture. So open your Bible to it, follow along with me, or write in your notes that you need to study it this week. Healthy couples know five things. Number one is this. Verse two says, a certain man in Moan was a very wealthy man. His name was Nabal and his wife's name was Abigail. Now check out the description. She was intelligent and a beautiful woman. Someone say, oh, come on, that's so kind. But her husband, what does the Bible have to say about him? Was harsh and badly behaved. <laughs> five, healthy couples uh, uh, know five things. Number one, character check. When's the last time you had a character check? When we look at Abigail's character, it checks out. When we look at Nabal's character, he has lost control of his character a long time ago. He is harsh and he's poorly behaved. Is this what you want people saying about you? You know, there's four kinds of riches in this world. Let me share them with you. The first is riches in what you have, possessional. Uh, the second one is riches in what you do. The third one is riches in what you know. And the fourth one, the, the, the highest of all riches is riches in who you are. 
Now, I love that last one because it's character. You don't have to have a lot. You don't even have to know a lot. You don't even have to do something amazing. But if you are rich in character, that's the highest of all virtues. Nabal, he just has a lot. The Bible says he's got 3,000 goats and donkeys as if we're supposed to read that and go, bro, you are the man. Your pockets are deep. Come on. Sheep shearing season must be kind to you, my friend. You make him bank whenever you can cut that wool off, bro. You walking around with a wool fur coat, man. Come on. And, um, but Nabal had possessions, but he didn't have character. The Bible describes him as truly rich only materially, not internally. You need to have a character check. And, and, and can I say this, singles and dating, we'll talk a lot about this and all throughout this series, you can apply this to relationships, but singles, let me talk to you for a moment. There are a lot of Abigails, someone beautiful and intelligent, who are dating and giving their life to Nabal's. Now, I don't know much about Nabal physically, but he had to have been a good looking brother because he was poor in character. Actually, to keep it contextually accurate, Abigail didn't have a choice because back then she would have been um, a, hired, uh, a hired wife. She would have been, um, this would have been an arranged marriage. And in a lot of ways, she was subservient to Nabal. So that's her excuse. But what's yours? A lot of times, Abigail's man or woman, intelligent, beautiful, hook up with Nabal's because, man, he or she might look good. But I, sometimes I scratch my head at how they act, their character. Please don't look on superficial things and ignore the character of someone you're dating. Teenagers, youth, sometimes, come on, I was there too. I was so immature that I looked for someone who made me look good, but I didn't really like who they were. And sometimes they drive me quite nuts because they are low in character. Write this down. Character matters. Here's another thing you can write down. Love is blind. But marriage is an eye opener. Come on, you could date all day long and, and be blind and all full of bliss. But once you marry that person, you start realizing I didn't really pay as much attention to their character as I should have. Character matters way more than appearance, income level, current occupation, um, family of origin. Listen, those things matter, but if they have high character, they will often rise above everything else. It's just a matter of time. Listen, my buddy Josh Robery wrote a book and he said this, one of the keys to surviving a dysfunctional person is the, is the ability to be honest with yourself. Are you being honest with yourself if you're single or dating? Are you allowing your friends to be honest with you or have you told them in so many words, I don't want to hear anything negative about this relationship? Are you allowing family members to be honest? Are you letting them weigh in on it? Are you, are you lying to yourself actively right now so that you can keep something that looks good, but internally you know it ain't good? Come on. Character matters. Now, if you're married, character matters too. And you would do yourself a favor not to pay attention to their character and fixing them. Instead, you would take the stone out of your own eye before worry, the log out of your own eye before worrying about their stones. So let me ask you, how's your character lately? 
Are you as kind as you used to be? Are you as gentle as it was when you were courting them? Are, or have you lost yourself a little bit? Is what you're watching, listening to, saying, does it line up in honoring character um, uh, intense ways? Number two, character check number one. Healthy couples know five things. Number two, verse 14 says, one of the servants told Abigail, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our masters his greetings, but Nabal hurled insults at them. Yet these men were good to us. Night and day, they were a wall around us. Can I say something that's happening in the scripture? In the book of Samuel, two walled cities got attacked by rebels and by uh, guerrilla armies, two walled cities. What he's saying here is we were out in the open and David's men were like a wall to us, man. They protected us. They took care of us. In verse 17, now think it over and see what you can do. For Nabal is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Number two, learn to listen. Learn to listen. Healthy couples know how to listen. Nabal is not even approachable. No one can talk to him without him flying off the handle. So no one approaches him any longer because he's volatile. But you, Abigail, I can come to you and I can talk to you and you will be sensible and you will listen. You know, Stephen Sample is an author who makes this joke. The average person suffers from three delusions. Number one, you're a good driver. <laughs> number two, you have a great sense of humor. And number three, you're a great listener. <laughs> so many of us would say, I am a great listener. I don't need help on this one, Pastor Drew. Let's move right along. But we're oftentimes not as good as we could be if we learned principles of great listening. Abigail listened better. Instead of assuming she was listening. Nabal was assuming he understood the full story. Abigail was actually listening. Abigail even said to David when she arrived to him, please forgive your servant's presumptions. In other words, Nabal made a lot of presumptions and assumed a lot of things. And you and I know what assumptions make out of you and I. It's a three-letter word. It starts with the first three letters of assumptions. You figure it out. Help somebody in your room. They're like, what is he talking about, right? Okay, listen, listen rather than assuming. So oftentimes we don't listen. We just start thinking about, I know how you're going to finish the statement, and I've already got an argument for you. And then we jump into um, either interrupting or responding in ways that prove you haven't listened in the first place. We've got to learn to listen. It makes us healthy. James 1.19 says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You probably heard it before, but I tell my kids as I teach them that you have two ears and one mouth. That means God was trying to tell you something. <laughs> you should be listening twice as much as you are talking, but all you're trying to do is talk back right now. We need to learn, and part of my parenting is to teach you how to be a good listener because it will serve you well in life. Job 38 verse 2 probably is one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. Job bickered for 37 chapters of the book of Job about how poor life was and how harsh things had become. And finally, God speaks up and he says, why do you talk so much when you know so little? Sometimes I wonder if God wants to present that to us. Have you ever been talking to somebody else that you wish you could just say, 
Why in the world are you speaking when you know so little? Like, learn to listen more before you speak. So here are um, four ways to become a better listener. Number one, eliminate distractions. We are never good listeners when we got a screen in front of us or a TV screen in front of us or a show in front of us. One thing that I have to do, practical tip, is to simply say this, could you pause the show? If I don't have the remote in my hand, I'll ask my wife as she comes in, could you pause the show? Because I'm not going to be a very good listener as long as I'm trying to listen to two things at once. Number two, ask questions. In other words, seek understanding. It can be so frustrating when we think we know it all. We do presumptions and assumptions, and uh, we think we understand it. The other day at work, uh, I had a scenario that really kind of frustrated me. I really was disappointed that the whole thing went down like that. And so I reached out to Pastor JT, who I knew would know more. For clarity, I wasn't frustrated with him. I just, I knew he would know more. And I said, Pastor JT, what don't I know right now? Because with the information I know, I'm a little frustrated and it doesn't make sense. There has to be more to the story. And he actually said, I don't know, but I'm going to ask that question to somebody else and I'll report back. In other words, let's ask questions and seek understanding before we try to be understood. Because when we presume, it makes uh, for assumptions. Number three, how to become a better listener. Repeat what you believe you heard. It's often very helpful to say, so what you're saying is you need this from me. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you're hoping I could go to the grocery before I come home from work. Anything like that affirms to the person, wow, he really heard me. Or they heard me wrong, but they're giving an intentional effort to what's going on. So it's a great habit to repeat back what you believe you heard. If I heard you correctly, you said this. You, this matters to you, and that's why you're frustrated. And number four, I've already said, speak half as much as you listen and only after listening. Don't speak until you've listened to it. Come on. No doubt. Don't speak. Do a cutaway. Don't show me. Come on. No doubt, bro. Don't speak. That's for my 80s fans right there. All right. It came out in the 90s. Anyway, I'm off track. Number three. Number three. Five things healthy couples know. Number three, honor well. Honor each other well. Listen, there's actually a tombstone in a cemetery in Alabama that reads, beneath this stone, my wife doth lie. She's now at rest, and so am I. <laughs> Come on. We don't want to get to the end of our life, and any of our family members are going, ah. Did you know there's actually a scripture in the Bible that says, when this king died, nobody mourned. Everybody was like, party! This person is out of my life. Now, maybe we're, it's an extreme to say they die, but do family members in your house actually get excited when you leave the house <laughs> or when you leave the conversation? Listen, maybe that means we need to be more honoring to others, and it also means that I better work on honoring the person that I feel better about being outside of their presence because something like resentment and bitterness is burning or growing inside me. We need to honor well. Abigail was not very good at honoring her husband Nabal. Clearly, resentment had grown and she had had enough because when she went to King David, listen to what she says. 
Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down. I wonder when's the last time she treated her husband with the same honor she was given this stranger, this man, stranger danger, come on. Verse 24, she fell at his feet and said, please pay no attention to that wicked husband of mine, Nabal. <laughs> he is just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. She ain't done yet. <laughs> She's not done throwing shade on her husband. She says, verse 26, may your enemies and all who are um, intending to harm you be like my Lord, Nabal. In other words, let them all die. They are all stupid like my husband is. He's an idiot. And may every other enemy be like yours. Are you talking about your loved ones to other people this way? Do you use every time you're together with other couples an opportunity to just throw each other under the rug? Come on, that's, that's never attractive to anyone. But what it truly is a sign of is you have lost honor towards each other. Honor covers. Honor loves. Honor gives the benefit of the doubt. Honor pays attention. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13, we call it the love chapter, right? It says this, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. It goes on, but what it doesn't say is acquaintances are patient. Acquaintances are kind. Acquaintances do not envy or boast. What am I getting at? Isn't it true that we oftentimes treat other people better than the way we treat the ones we love the most? It is so easy to take for granted our spouse or our kids or our relatives because we have, we're not honoring them well and we're taking them for granted. And then we go to work or we go to a grocery store or we go to a small group or we go hang out with our friends and catch a movie and we're nothing but kind and we make sure that our words are laced with life-giving words. But then we get around them and you're like, you're an idiot. <laughs> I don't want to listen to what you have to say. You know, I need you to blah, blah, blah. And they're like, would you speak to your mom that way? Come on, that's, a, that's an indication. You're not honoring very well, right? Um, how do you speak about your spouse to others. Abigail threw her spouse under the rug. How do you speak to your spouse to their face? Would you be comfortable with me being in the same room when you have a disagreement with your spouse? Way more important than me is the Holy Spirit is there and I don't want to offend the Holy Spirit. I'm talking to God's daughter. Do I want Father God listening to how I speak to his daughter? Do you want Father God listening how you speak to his son? Would you do that in front of your in-laws? <laughs> right? So this all teaches us to make sure that we are honoring well because it's easy to dishonor and it's easy to take the people closest to us for granted. Healthy couples know to honor each other well. Number four. Verse 33 says, David said to Abigail, may you be blessed for your good judgment. This is the stranger David talking to Abigail, who is not his wife. And he's saying, may you be blessed for your good judgment. 
and for keeping me from bloodshed. He goes on to speak value to her and he understands all the jewels inside this woman. Number four is this, healthy couples know to value more. We've got to value the people in our lives before other people value them. Uh, we don't do it because we want to beat other people to it, but because we signed up for it. If you got married, you signed up for, I want to serve you. I want to lift you up greater than anybody else second to God. I want to be a champion for you. I want to be behind you. I want to think about you and I want to honor you well. And so uh, here is David speaking value into Abigail's life. Words she probably hasn't heard her own husband say in decades. Her servant came to her earlier, we read the scripture, and said, you listen well. You're reasonable. You're so smart. Nabal's so stupid, right? Like she has a male servant coming to her and speaking life and speaking gems and, 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 and pointing out the good in her. How long has it been since you spoke value to your spouse? Write this down. The unspoken blessing is not a blessing at all. A lot of times we can think, well, Pastor Drew, I thought it, but if you didn't speak it, they don't know it. Now you gotta remember this. A lot of times we court one another in the dating season and we do nothing but speak values and gems to one another. That's one of the things that builds attraction. It builds intimacy. But after you marry, sometimes we can think, okay, I now need to provide for her. And, and, and men can like try to go to work and, um, uh, and this can apply to women trying to go to work. And we think I, I, I'm going to work and I'm trying to bring home the bacon. But when's the last time you spoke value to her. You look gorgeous today. There is no one more attractive to you. Um, um, the way you parent our kids is exceptional. I'm paying attention and my mind is blown. I, I saw what you did around the house. It was so awesome. Like, thank you so much for the text you sent me today. You're so thoughtful. Like all these words speak value to one another. And a lot of times what we do is we forget to speak them. And then they go to work and people are impressed by them at work or people are impressed by them at the ball field or people start giving them attention that they haven't gotten from their spouse in a long time. And it turns into a side attraction or at the very least, it turns into that felt good. Boy, I wish my spouse would do that. And, and we don't do that intentionally. Can I tell you something? If you're married, you cannot control who hits on your spouse. You cannot control who daps up your spouse or, or speaks life to them or compliments them. But what you can control is no one's going to value them more than me. And I'm going to speak it before they hear it to somebody else. That way their tank is already full. That if someone else has an ill motive and I'm not with my spouse, my spouse has already heard that from me. My spouse already knows that from me. And healthy couples value each other well enough that they say, I'm going to speak it before somebody else speaks it. And that way their tank is already full. Women, can I tell you, men need this. Men will probably spend more time at work than they will 
at home in personal time, statistically, if they're putting in 40 or more hours a week, most people put in more than 45, 50 hours a week, which means they'll spend more time at work, which means you've got to be intentional to listen to what other people are saying about them and just go, man, you're an incredible leader. Man, you're, you're, your company must be blessed to have someone like you because I'm blessed to have someone like you. And some people might be eye-rolling right now, but if you don't do it, the secretary might or the contractor might, or the person they find themselves in the room with might. Let them find value from you first. That can go both ways. Women need this. Do you know, statistically, women feel like the apple of men's eyes when they're courting and dating, and then the moment they get married, they wonder, am I still the apple of his eye? My body might be changing. My position in life might be changing. Pastor Drew, I birthed him three kids, and you should see what that did to me. <laughs> Am I still valuable to them? Do you still see life? Never speak harsh words. Speak value and life. And let me say this. Your kids need it, too. I did research papers on youth. Youth come alive when someone in their life speak value in them and they turn their ear towards them, and they go, you see that in me? Like if you're just like, man, you're exceptional at writing. You're so good with music. You're so smart. You're so bright. It causes them to want to connect more and learn more. Now, let me say this. I'm so grateful when teachers see a spark in my kids. I'm so grateful when youth leaders see a spark in my kids. But I can't let my kids hear more value from other people than they hear from their own parents. And so I've got to try intentionally to find the value. And when they're driving me nuts, I have to slow down and go, I'm spewing a lot. I'm complaining a lot. Let me try counteracting this by speaking value. And so we can speak value to one another. That's what healthy people know. Um, Lucille Ball said this. Oh, let me finish that point. You know, a lot of young people, that's why they date, because someone else sees value in them that they haven't gotten from a significant parent in a long time. Not all of them. So, so I'm not trying to step on people's toes, but I've been in youth ministry over 16 years and I can speak with authority. A lot of people date because I get attention and value spoken to me from him or her that I'm not getting at home. And so this feeds a need. And so a lot of your kids will stay out of unhealthy relationships if you just choose, I'm going to speak value every single day. That way they don't have to need this. They can be healthy and whole when they get into this. Lucille Ball says this, ever since I said I do, there's so many things we don't. And I think that's pretty funny. Let's make sure that we uh, don't stop valuing one another. And let me finish with this. Five, five things healthy couples know. Number five is to stay humble. Um, it says when Abigail sent Nabal, uh, uh, when Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. But the next morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all the things that she had just done and how she saved their lives. And his heart failed him and he became like a stone that implies like a seizure and about 10 days later the Lord st uh, struck Nabal and he died number five stay humble Nabal died a proud angry man what legacy do you want to have he be he was so proud that it shocked him that he was on death's door with King David 
or he wasn't a king yet, I keep saying that, uh, with David, and that it took his wife, who he thought was lower than him, lesser than him, he thought it was crazy that his lesser than wife is what saved him. He was a proud, arrogant man. Do you believe in your relationship that you're the superior one? Marriages specifically. Or if you're dating, do you believe you're the superior one? Here's a better question. If I asked them, um, would they say that you act superior to them? Because that is a pride problem. We need to be humble enough to, to keep it level. Write this down. Pride never produces intimacy. <laughs> There's very few people who go, wow, you're telling me how much you know. I can't wait till we get in bed together. <laughs> like, the, the, it, it's a detractor. It, it, it repels you. Pride repels. And, and, and I wrote this down. Just because I don't make as much, know as much, have experienced as much, or seemingly worship Jesus as much as you, doesn't mean I should be muted. And I've seen a lot of people mute people because I'm way older than them. I'm way smarter than them. I read my Bible way more than them. Um, I make more than them and I have more degrees than them. And that never produces intimacy. And really, it's a spirit of pride. I've done it too. I've, I've done it before where I had to catch myself and go, wow. I need more humility because I've moved into a proud moment right now. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. If you've ever thought he's an idiot, <laughs> they don't know what they're talking about. She is useless. I am smarter or they are beneath me. Then you have a spirit of pride and it's time to take that to the cross today. Nabal literally died an angry man, and that's not the legacy God wants for us. So let me conclude with this. Let's learn from the fall of Nabal. Let's learn from this. Let's not take this home. Let's not, not let the, the, the fall of Nabal be what our family is known for. Let's, let's, let's have what five, the five ways that healthy couples, uh, the five things they know. Character, listen, honor, value, and humility. It's all in your Bible. I hope you'll read it this week. Come on. <clears throat> I'm going to pray for you, but I'm also going to ask you right now, who needs to hear this message? Who can you share it with? There's a lot of people we know who are looking for hope, especially in their household. If you know somebody, would you think about sharing it with them? Or rather, you try to re-preach it. Say, hey, this, this is something I heard my pastor say. Share it with somebody because it's God's word that will bring life to everybody. And ultimately, my prayer is that they'll come to a relationship with Jesus Christ where they seek more of his goodness and they fall in love with him. Come on. I want to pray for you right now. God, over every single household, dysfunctional or super healthy right now. Sometimes it's seasonally and we go in and out of it and, and we might be healthy now, but we've gone through dysfunction. Or maybe you feel like all hell is breaking loose at home and I don't know if we're gonna make it. I'm this close to falling apart. Father, let this message 
give hope, that there are five things that we can start focusing on that will bring health. And so right now, I pray over households. I pray over marriages. Father, you are in love with marriage, Father, because you're in love with us and you're a covenant-keeping God. And many of us want to walk out on our covenant. And for those who are on the edge, Father, I pray a new grace over their household. I pray new life over their household right now. And I pray, Father God, that they would be made anew, that they would find new hope and they would say, I can pick up two or three of these ways and I can do a better job. Father, I pray that you would help us not point at our spouse or our kids or somebody else and say, they need to do this. Father, I pray that we start with us. Father, let us look internal. Let us seek to follow you better by doing these things. Help us honor well, develop our character, listen better, value people, and remain humble. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Before I close, I'm so passionate about this message. The reason I share it so passionately, people say, Pastor Drew, you're so passionate when you're up there. The reason why is because I was a lost person trying to figure it out all on my own, trying to come up with best practices and be the person I felt like I could be, I was created to be, and I knew I wasn't living up to it. And I found all my answers when I realized this simple truth. Jesus Christ wasn't just dying on a cross for history's sake. He died on a cross, not just for religion's sake, so that you could tune into a live stream or show up at a church on Sunday. He died to forgive you. He died to set you free. He died to take away those shameful sins that we have all done in our lives. The dirtiest, darkest thing you could be forgiven of. And when he forgives you, he sweeps up house and then he begins to fill you with life, hope, truth. He gives you the way of life and it leads to an eternity in heaven, not hell. If you're unaware whether you're going to end up in heaven or hell one day, then you need to listen very closely. If you know you haven't been living right and that God would disapprove of some of the things I do, a lot of the things I do, or all the things I do, then you need to listen closely. Jesus died for you to start a new life and to have a fresh start. How about today? Maybe you didn't find this live stream coincidentally. Maybe your friend found it and you, you stumbled across it. I don't believe it was a coincidence. I believe God wants you to hear this today so that you can analyze and be honest with yourself that I need Jesus. And let me try Jesus for a while. The Bible's cool with it. He says, try me. Try him and see if he doesn't give you life and life more abundantly as everything becomes quiet and we get to live healthier, wholer lives with purpose to build the kingdom of God. If that's you right now, I, I, I want to pray for you and I want to lead you in a prayer. And I want you to write in the chat, get out your keyboard and just write, that's me, Pastor Drew, include me. And then pray this prayer because it has everything to do with your heart declaring who you believe Jesus is. So let's do it. Say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I have messed up and I need you. I've done some dumb things, things I'm ashamed of. And I wanna start over. I wanna ask you to forgive me for those things. 
Help me to never do them again. I believe you, Jesus, are the Son of God. You're his Son who came out of heaven. You lived a perfect life to die in my guilty place. And that's why you bled on the cross, paying my price. I give you my life, and I honor you with my life as my Lord and as my Savior. I want to follow you forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.